It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. One-of-a-kind opinions, big-name guests, the teams you care about every, every, every day. It's the Ron Johnson Show, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Welcome to the Ron Johnson Show, and I am your host, Ron Johnson. On today's show, I'm wearing my maroon and gold, of course. Ben Johnson, Gophers head coach for basketball, is joining us. He just signed a big recruit, big-time recruit, probably the biggest recruit in Gopher basketball history, aside from one other guy. We're going to talk NFL draft, Vikings, of course, later in the Daily Three. But first, we got to talk about what's the most important thing of today. No, it's not your taxes. You should have had those done already. As I bring Sam Extram in, my producer, Sam, it's game day. Like, I cannot remember the last time I've been, like, paying attention and excited for game day of basketball. Yes, we know there's baseball going on. Everybody's excited about Byron Buxton. Yes, the NFL draft is Thursday. Everybody's excited about Derek Stingley Jr. But today, the Minnesota Timberwolves play the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis. Now, I did wake up today a little bit nervous. This is why. Last time my daughter had softball practice, the Timberwolves, I asked the coach, you know, he had the game on, like right in front of the net as he's pitching. He's looking down at the game. And he's like, oh, yeah, the Timberwolves are up 16. And I'm like, what? I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, I'm like, how? How are they up 16? So we go through the rest of practice, and I'm thinking like, oh, this is, this is a cakewalk. The Timberwolves are going to run away with this thing. It's going to be 2-1. Timberwolves are going to be up. Get home, and all hell had broke loose. So I had recorded it. So as I rewound it back and realized, wow, wow, that's the only thing I could do, Sam. And they end up losing. So I woke up a little nervous, Sam, because I remember the last time she had softball practice that happened. But I'm going to pray that doesn't happen. We have practice tonight. Same deal. I'm going to record the game. I know a coach is going to have it on the TV in the practice, you know, or his on his phone. He's going to stream it on his phone. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, Sam. What about you? How do you feel about today's game? You know, I wasn't nervous until I saw a stat that our boss, David Locke, tweeted out. Now, he does the Jazz games. So yep. the Jazz were in the Which exact they're about same to lose. situation. They're, they're, they can't yeah. stop Luka. Yeah, they can't stop Luka. They're in some trouble. But they were 2-2, just like the Wolves are. They went on the road to Dallas. Dallas was the home mm-hmm. favorite. And David Locke, before the game, he tweeted out something like, home favorites in game five when the series is 2-2 or when they've lost in game four. It was like 41-10, and 10, like home favorites okay. in game five off a loss. And then so what happened? There's a chance. D- I'm saying that there are 10 teams that have done it. Dallas went out and won by 25, so the, the Jazz didn't break that trend. Maybe the Wolves can. I think they're uh, six-point underdogs on betonline.net. Um, but this is going to be a tough test. I mean, Memphis is not going to roll over. Honestly, I'm a little nervous about Ja, because Ja has not played well in this series. He right. was pretty ineffective in uh, Minneapolis. If he starts attacking again and getting to the line, and racking up those foul counts, that could be the catalyst to kind of put Memphis back uh, over the top. Yeah, and, and for the novice out there, you said the Memphis Grizzlies on BetOnline.com are getting six. 
Six point correct? favorites. Six point yeah. favorites. So that means yeah. if the Timberwolves lose by five, the Timberwolves cover. Correct. Right. Right. Okay. So in my opinion, I would bet on the Timberwolves to cover. That's just my opinion. They have not really gotten um, handled, I'd say, you know, against this Grizzlies team. Now, we do know that game two. That, that game two, but but that was just, a, I don't, I'm going to go on a limb. I don't think that's going to happen again. I pray that they don't just let it all go and it goes to hell because 124 to 96, I don't see that really happening. I see the 104 to 95 Grizzlies. I see the 119 to 118. I see the 130 to 117 Timberwolves. I think, and it's just me, I think the Timberwolves at least have it figured out with the timeouts. Now, that's on Chris Finch. You know, does he have the ability and the know-how and, and, the, and the wits about himself to do it? Also, are the refs going to be a little less likely to help out the Grizzlies because of their coach? Like, his comments about them, he got fined. He said, I don't care. I'm you can find me, do whatever you want to do. Like, if I'm a referee, I have Twitter too. I have the internet. I have friends and family that have the internet and Twitter, and they know I ref that game. And they're probably texting me like, yo, what's going on, man? Why is he, why is he on y'all like that? Did y'all really do that? Did y'all, are y'all, did y'all bet on the game? Are y'all trying to, you know, keep this, you know, is, there, is the NBA rigged, as everybody likes to say? Are you guys really trying to push this to game seven? Maybe. Maybe when they get out there, those ticky-tacky John Morant drive-to-the-lane bumps don't get caught. Now, we know coaches do make those comments for refs to kind of be put on the spotlight. So now it's, you know, glaring and people are watching. And when one's not called, that fan base is going to boo the heck out of them. And they're going to yell and scream. Somebody might throw something on the court if it gets really bad where Ja goes to the lane. Carl Anthony Towns jumps straight up, which is allowed to verticality, as they call it. And he doesn't get the foul. Are the fans going to lose it because they're going to say one or the other? Vice versa, if he does get the call and it's not a foul, Timberwolves fans are going to take to Twitter. I know I am. And say the refs have been swayed. The refs have been swayed by a coach whose feelings were hurt. He really just wanted to lay it on the line and say, you guys screwed my team. My team didn't lose. You lost it for my team. And so for me, the question I'm going to ask, what player needs to step up for me tonight it's carl anthony towns ben johnson you know we're going to talk to ben johnson later and we're going to ask him his take um on that as well but i'm going to say carl anthony towns why because i think ann edwards scoring 24 last time i think ann edwards is fine i think ann, uh edwards is gonna do his thing and um <clears throat> when you look at sorry not 24 uh yeah no it is 24 when you look at ann edwards 24 carl anthony towns is what i meant 33 so ann edwards 24 carl anthony towns 33 I think you got to get the same production. That's the guy. Carl Anthony Towns has to step up for me. He has to stay out of foul trouble. He has to. Sam, who do you think? So I don't know the answer to this question. This means I should be paying more attention when I watch the games, but whoever's guarding Desmond Bain needs to show up on that end of the floor because okay. Desmond Bain has been the Grizzlies' best player in this series. It hasn't been Morant. Yeah. And maybe that's a credit to Patrick Beverly because Beverly has been guarding Morant most of the time. And Beverly yep. has been a menace. He's been a pest defensively. Uh, he's great on ball. Wolves have been bringing the double team on Morant, forcing him to give it up. That's great. But the guy he's given it up to, Desmond Bain, is hitting everything in sight. So who's going to be closing out on Desmond Bain? Who's going to prevent those three-point shots? 8 of 12 in the last game for Bain. So I need someone to show up on the defensive end tonight. Um, I think that's where the Wolves win the game. I think they will get enough offense 
from you know their their stars. I think that Edwards will will give him 25. I think that Cat is locked in. Like I'm not worried as much about that end of the floor. I'm worried about the defensive end of the floor because there have been periods in this series where the defense kind of just has a they, they kind of black out for about 10 minutes and they they let the Grizzlies do whatever they want. Can't happen tonight. Got to defend for 48 minutes. Yeah, it, it's a weird defense. They kind of run some. Not weird. It's it's kind of a matchup because you look at Ann Edwards. I think he's one of the most athletic guys I've seen, uh, where he can guard just about everybody on the court besides a center. Like he he's strong enough and and jumps and more and physical enough to deal with some of the forwards. But then he also is quick enough because we've seen him guard John ja Morant. And so. My thought is when you look at the way the, the Grizzlies play, it, it's a ball screen at the top with John Morant. They want to get him on somebody going downhill, you know, letting him use his athleticism. And so it's the closeout on Desmond Bain. I think that's what you're looking for. It's the closeout because it's not the, you know, you're not like locking Desmond Bain down where he's getting the ball and then he's just going to kill you. It's that kick out. It's the secondary pass because you've either had to sink a little bit to help on the pick and pop from John Morant or the pick and drive from John Morant. And then he's kicking it out and then it's the closeout. Um, but I know it's between D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards and Patrick Beverly. They kind of, they kind of all rotate with what they see with that matchup, you know, where if John Morant's really just driving, they want a, a more physical guy that can push with them, run with them and jump and block his shot is Anthony Edwards. Um, if it's kind of slowed down a little bit, you'll see D'Angelo Russell at the top on him. Edwards is over on Bain. Um, and then vice versa, Pat Beverly's on John Morant because he's just being an absolute pest. Sometimes he actually goes to Bain, Pat Beverly, because he is strong enough and doesn't mind uh, the physical game uh, that we know Bain can give you sometimes if he wants to bang down low. He has the weirdest shot, too. I don't understand. Like, he's the only guy I know who shoots like that that can actually get the shot off and makes it. Um, but, yeah, no, that, I think that's the one. The stat for me to watch, too, tonight, it's going to be Carl Anthony Towns' fouls. Like, how many fouls versus minutes? And verse points like that's I think that's going to be the deciding factor too for the Timberwolves. If Carl Anthony Towns can stay out of stay out of foul trouble, and and this is the one thing that I, I agree with the broadcast team. I think it was uh it was it must have been Reggie Miller. I don't know who made this call, but it was when um, I think it was Beasley. I can't remember who, but there was a foul called, and it was between him and I think Williams or, or Vanderbilt or something. I can't remember exactly what the what it was. I think it was. I think it was uh not sorry McDaniel's. It was either McDaniel's. I think I think it was McDaniel's and Beasley. So McDaniel's had the fouls. Beasley, the foul was called on Beasley. It was the one. It was the weird one where they kind of grabbed hands and smacked uh dude in the face. I think it was John Morant got hit in the face or something like that. It was a weird one where they called it on Beasley, and it wasn't on Beasley. It was on McDaniel's running through and smacked him in the face with his hand. Beasley's like arguing, like, I never touched him. I don't know why y'all call the foul on me. Well, he talked long enough that the refs end up realizing it and putting the foul on a guy that already had three fouls. Like, that's the kind of things when you only have one foul or no fouls, you just raise your hand and you take that foul. You see Pat Beverly do it all the time. He takes the foul. He's like, yep, it's on me. It's not on Cat. Give it to me. Don't give it to Cat. That's where guys have to be a little bit more savvy, pay attention to the situation, stop arguing about who's the call on just know like dude has three i have one i'll take that one it's on me he argued and argued and argued and they end up putting it on the other guy and gave him four fouls and so stuff like that if cats and you are in a situation and you're close take the file for cat just put your hands up and, and lobby give it to me 
Don't give it to Cat. We need to keep Cat out of foul trouble. That's what happened to John Morant. He was on the bench on the game 11 points. I think if he's on there, the fact that they lost by one and technically by four off after a last second shot, probably a lot closer. And the Grizzlies probably win because of the way John Morant can drive to the lane. He was not able to do that in foul trouble. And then after, you know, the you know, when you go to the bench and you come back, you're cold and it just doesn't work out. So that's my stat to watch for the game. Uh, up next, we're going to have Gophers head coach Ben Johnson. Stick around for that. And now on the Ron Johnson Show, as promised, we have head coach Ben Johnson. Now, this is a guy that I actually was in school with. So baggy shorts, you know, <laughs> uh, baggy jerseys, T-shirt under the jerseys. So much has changed in college basketball. But Ben, I want to thank you for joining the Ron Johnson Show. And I'm going to just start off quick, man. Like, you grew up in the state of Minnesota. This is the state of hockey. But now this has become a basketball town in, in, in ebbs and flows. Like, it, it comes and goes. And uh, back when KG was here, it definitely was a basketball town. They had playoff runs. Um, they tried to get it back with, with Jimmy Butler. Didn't really work as well. Became a, a, a catastrophic uh, experiment. But now, back in the playoffs, tied 2-2 against the Memphis Grizzlies, heading into game five tonight. What do the Timberwolves have to do, Ben, as you, I mean, you're a player and a coach, to uh, close this game out tonight? Yeah, I think the you know the biggest thing is um, not lose what they did you know last game. I thought Cat um, was phenomenal with just his energy, um, you know, playing with that emotion the right way. Um, I thought they uh, they did a really good job moving the ball, got everybody, multiple players uh, involved offensively. Um, you know, I think Ant Man, you know, the, the, what he can do um, on both sides of the ball and what D'Lo can do. Uh, especially offensively leading this charge um, along with Cat. You know, they come with their mind right. Uh, it should be a fun game. Yeah, and when you think about this series as a whole and you look at, like you said, Cat having a great game, Anthony Edwards, um, you know, when you look at these two stars, so for your younger guys, your high school kids, you know, do these guys have the same impact that KG had on you? You know, I, I think probably Ant-Man does for sure. Um, he's got like that star power. Um, I think if you remember, you know, when Casey got drafted uh, out of high school, he just had like a presence about him. He had just like star power, star quality. And, um, you know, nothing to take away from Cat. I mean, obviously, you know, an all-star and a very good player. But you look at Ant-Man, just his charisma, how he is in interviews off the floor. He's engaging. He kind of connects people. He's got like that youthful innocence right now and just the, the unreal talent. I mean, you know, what he can do athletically at the rim, very few uh, in this league can do it. And so I think because of that, he just got like that star star power that KG had and that kind of unique talent that you just don't see that that too often. Yeah, man, let's switch gears. Looking at college basketball now, your your sport, your, your baby now, you guys had one of the biggest transfer signings and go for basketball history as far as transfers go, of course. Uh, I think one of the last big recruits of this magnitude would have been uh, Chris Humphreys, I think is what they're saying. Um, I go back to, I mean, I definitely was a fan of Vashon Leonard. He's from Detroit. But looking at Dawson Garcia, how big of a signing was that? One, he's coming home, but two, getting other D1 Minnesota, Howard Pulley, all these other kids that see a kid like Dawson come home and most likely, in my opinion, going to have success. What, what does that do for the program going forward? 
I think it's huge. I think, you know, anytime you can get, um, you know, a national name, and I think Dawson's a national name for a lot of reasons. You know, out of high school, um, he was a consensus, you know, top 50 player. Um, and, and you play at Marquette and you play at North Carolina, which are two really good distinguished programs. Um, you know, that, that helps in recruiting in terms of good players want to play with good players and, and they want to have confidence to know that when they go to a team or a situation, uh, they're not going to be the only ones. And I think um, talent-wise, he's going to bring a lot to the table. Recognition, he's going to bring a lot to the table. And, you know, he's excited. And I think that's the, the cool part about it is he's genuinely, you know, super pumped um, to be back home and um, to kind of, you know, I'm juggling with the kind of right or wrong, you know. Um, and so we're, we're excited <laughs> to have him. And he's going to go along with, you know, we got to cut, you know, some other good local guys with the, with the players that we signed that I think are, are vastly underrated. Um, you know, to get Mr. Basketball out of Minnesota and, uh, mm -hmm. and Braden Carrington, you know, to get a Josh Ola Joseph, who's a Big Ten athlete, um, to get a Pharrell Payne, who, you know, I think, you know, he, he's not Chris Webber, but he reminds me of Chris Webber, just the way he's physically built as a true mm -hmm. freshman and his measurements and athleticism. And I think sky's the, the limit for that kid. Um, and then you have, you know, a Parker Fox on our team, who's a D2 All-American, who's from here. Yep. You've got Jameis Battle, um, who's yep. from here, who... You know, if, if guys leave the Big Ten like I think they would, he'll be the Big Ten leading scorer next year. Um, and so I think it just shows that, you know, you're trying to grow it with the right type of talent. Um, you know, it happened to be a, a, a band of in-state guys right now, but, you know, we want to use that momentum to, to not only get in-state kids, but recruit nationally at a high level. Yeah, and I've seen Dawson Garcia play in high school. I've seen, I mean, I've actually seen him since he was in the fifth grade, I think, at Prior Lake, because uh, he played against Drake Dobbs, who's now at St. Thomas, who went to Eden Prairie. And Eden Prairie and Prior Lake had tons of battles. Uh, Dawson, in my opinion, is one of the most dominant players I've seen play the game. Um, you know, I think he was underutilized in high school just because he is a team first guy. He is a nice kid. Um, I noticed that in AAU right away, playing with Kendall Brown and and, and Courtney Brown and Drake Dobbs. Um, you know, Dawson's a, a team player. Uh, do you see yourself, you know, you just named all those guys from Minnesota ever trying an all Minnesota lineup at one time just to to play around with it? Uh, one for the fans, because we know about the Fab Five and I loved it. But seeing what kind of chemistry an all Minnesota lineup could get you. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're going to do whatever we got to do to put the best team on the floor. And, um, you know, if it happens to be all Minnesota guys, it's all Minnesota guys. If we sprinkle in a a player from out of state, we sprinkle in a player from, from out of state. I think, um, you know, it's our job as a coaching staff uh, to assemble the, the best team we possibly can that fits what we're trying to do. And thankfully, uh, we do have a lot of really good local talent. We have really mm -hmm. good high school coaches. We have really good AAU programs. Uh, the kids here develop, they grow up um, understanding how to play. And now it's our job to, to, to have a product so that when kids are younger, they view us as kind of a destination spot. And they view yeah. us as kind of kids did when I grew up, to your sake, you know, I watched Bashan Leonard. You know, I watched Townsend or Willie Burton, Richard Coffey, yep. Kevin Lynch, oh, yeah. you know, all those guys. And so, um, you know, we want to get it to a point where people here and nationally look at Minnesota as a, as a destination in a, in a top half Big Ten type program. Um, and again, you know, if you can keep the in-state talent at home, that's always the easiest as far as just how to get players to, to, to come to your place and recruit. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to get them when they're 20 minutes away than have to fly on a, or hop on a plane. Um, but at the yeah. same time, there's a ton of talent, you know, across the country, and um, you know we're going to do what we can to, to to attract the best that we can.
No, for sure. And I know Dawson Garcia can play the one if he has to bring it up the court. I know he can play the two. Parker Fox, you got Jamison Battle. So when you go with that all Minnesota lineup, just for even if it's against like North Dakota or somebody like that, make sure you tweet me the starting tip off because I called. I think those guys can put 30 up on somebody quick, get some energy in the building. But, you know, we'll move on from that. Ben, looking at what you've done with this program. I was blessed enough, you know, the Gophers football program this weekend and softball hosted myself my and my family was in town. Uh, my daughter, uh, you know, she was able to check out the facility, being only 11, but um, she was able to check out the facility, see football, see basketball. They got to go on the basketball court. Um, you guys have done some amazing things. I went to school here, you went to school here, so you know how amazing it is. Uh, but explain the why. Like we saw that, you know, I'm not going to say where it's at, but we saw it, the whys, the players' handwritten whys. Why is that so important? Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think when, when in times of doubt, and we talk about dealing with adversity all the time because it's, it's going to come every single day and it's going to come every single game. Um, you got to rely on, um, you know, who you are as a, as a person. You got to rely on, you know, core values. But to push through, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of that extra motivation or the days you don't feel like working out, you just need that reminder of why you're doing it. Because um, as you know, to, to be good and successful at any level in sports, you've got you've to be able to, to do it on days you don't got it. And you got to find mm -hmm. an inner resolve to, to push through. Um, it's easy when it's easy. And, and if you want to be great and, and you want to do things that we want to do, you know, every day, you can't lose an opportunity to get better. And so I just put it on the door uh, leading out to the gym because I just wanted guys when, when, when they are struggling or when they feel a little bit sore, a little bit tired, or there is mm -hmm. adversity um, or they have a little doubt in their mind of, of, you know, here's why you're doing it. And maybe that quick reminder, that quick hit um, can get them that motivation or that juice or that energy to, to kind of block out the negativity and to push forward and continue to get better. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, I want them to have goals too. And I want their goals to, to be meaningful to them and something special to them. And um, it's just a quick reminder that I think sometimes we all need, um, you know, to get us to get us going. Yeah. And, and, and so to have a fun one, you know, to end this show or interview, let's have a fun one. So the state of Minnesota or city, the, the worst cities for dating. There was a poll. I don't know who did this. It, it says Fox. So who knows what city Fox this was in? Uh, but it, it, the poll must be out there. It was. It started in Las Vegas, which clearly it was a bunch of drunk people they interviewed. Uh, but the worst cities to date, Kansas City, Missouri was one. Wichita, Kansas was two. Minneapolis was three, which is questionable for me. Detroit, Michigan, again, connected to me, was four. And then Louisville, Kentucky was five. In your opinion, I know you're a guy, you know, you come in, you have a nice job, you look good. You know, you got that Chico DeBarge thing working for you. Uh, you know, <laughs> your guy, Joe Coleman, who's coming on the show later at some point this year, he was on The Bachelor. Michelle Young, a bachelorette, is from here. She shot the show here. Uh, do you agree with that? Like, is, is Minneapolis a tough place to date? I mean, you're a guy here now, um, but I'm pretty sure your DMs are, are, are filling up fast. Man, I would say... Uh... <laughs> Joe Coleman's probably got it figured out. Joe Coleman uh, did a great job. You know, he's he's on national TV. Uh, he's got it figured out. Um, you know, I, I think uh, th that poll is interesting. Um, you know, we get a lot of bad raps for a lot of things. I don't I don't necessarily know uh, if we'll be top five in that. I don't know who they polled, but 
Um, you know, the, the, the positive thing is I know, um, you know, my staff and, and, and players in our program and people in our program, uh, you know, they, they love the people of Minnesota. And I think they've um, they've all done a good job, you know, kind of navigating that landscape. And um, it's funny, uh, you know, players that I played with and coached, I'm sure same with you, they come here single, but a lot of them end up marrying people that they met at the U or people that yep. they met, you know, downtown or in Uptown or St. Paul. And um, so I, I kind of, you say that and I laugh because so many, and then, and then from the outstate, they end up living here. And yeah. we saw that a lot in recruiting that I don't care if you're from, you know, a Detroit or a North Carolina or a California or a Texas, um, you know, somewhere that's out of region, um, you know, people come here and because the people are who they are and the area is easy to leave, to, to, to live in, they end up meeting people, getting married, having families and staying here. And so, um, I don't know, I probably have to disagree with that, Paul. I, I definitely disagree with it. I mean, I look at you, you're dead on. All my college teammates, Tony Patterson, Jared Ellerson, Asin Osai, Mike Lehan, uh, Yuki Dozier, John Richmond. Uh, none of us were from here. I mean, that's Ohio, St. Louis, Florida, Illinois, uh, North Carolina. Everybody that I know, that group at least, end up staying here. You look at Damian Johnson. Uh, you look at a lot of these guys who play basketball here even that decided to stay uh, that are not from here, that found their spouse here. So, yeah, I, I disagree with it. But I, honestly, this is what I think, because I've heard Randy Moss say this. I've heard Charles Woodson say this. I've heard a lot of players say this. Minnesota is an untapped, secret, hidden gem. For men, it's a lot of young ladies here. I think there are some men here that are screwing it up for the rest of the good guys out there. And there's like a small group of, of men out there that are just idiots. And I think that's where, because if it started in Vegas, you know they're polling women on the street. Like they're asking girls on the street who are walking up and down the strip, who are drinking, cocktail in hand. And yeah, it's it's definitely some past, like the 2002 to 2009, probably Vikings. I think they definitely probably <laughs> ruined it. Uh, with the love boat and all the crap they went through here. So that's what I think this is. I mean, I, I'm guessing they pulled a bunch of girls because I don't see too many guys even picking a state. I think every guy is going to say it's great no matter where, unless it's like, you know, some weird remote area. It's it's wrong. But I want to thank Ben Johnson for joining the Ron Johnson Show. We definitely have to get you back, man, as the season goes. Congratulations on, on, the, on the Dawson Garcia. And congrats also, man, seeing a former guy come back and coach his alma mater. It's huge. I think it's going to be great going down the road for AAU players and hometown players to see that. And uh, we'll be back after this. Coming up next, the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes. Make sure you check out our daily show on Locked On Sports Minnesota. That's It's Superior Sports Talk with Kara Levin's Reggie Wilson. You also have Luke Inman as producer. Hear Reggie and Luke talk about sports five days a week. You can find them on the Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast feeds. Now the part of the show that I love is the Daily Three. That's three questions, three minutes. Take it away, Sam. All right. The Vikings are reportedly not going to pick up center Garrett Bradbury's fifth-year option. That means this is the final year of his contract. Ron, is this the final year he will play as a member of the Minnesota Vikings? No, I don't think so. I, I think that that just means um, that he has to earn his way. I mean, look at Laquan Treadwell. Similar hap similar things happened to him, and he ended up coming back to the Vikings. Um, it did not work out on his, you know, his opportunity to earn another chance to be on the team. Because if Laquan Treadwell had come out and had 60 catches that next year, 800 yards and four or five touchdowns, 
they probably re-sign him and say, hey, let's get him on a two, three-year deal. Um, Garrett Bradbury is going to be the same. In this new offense, again, it's going to be a similar zone read scheme. Everybody kind of has gone to that. Uh, it's easier for the offensive linemen. Basically, if you think about, for those that don't understand zone read, just real simple, it's basically blocking a guy in an area. You don't have a guy. Like, you don't come to the line of scrimmage saying, I'm blocking this guy, you're blocking this guy. You're blocking your zone. You're blocking your area. There's double teams that happen within that area, and then the one guy moves to the other guy who steps up in the area, so you might double team a D-tackle to your side. And then the, the guy, there's a post guy and a leave guy. The post guy sets him up, other guy keeps him, and then he leaves, and he goes and gets that linebacker. Everybody's doing that. The big difference when you look at the Rams they pass first and then they run. So they were setting up the run with the pass. The Vikings were always like confused. I don't ever think that they had, like, I don't think Kubiak Jr. had a plan. I don't think that he really understood what he wanted to do. It always seemed like, you know, Zimmer wanted him to run to set up the pass. It felt like he wanted to pass to set up the run. And, and you just had a, a huge kind of like rubber met, meet the road moment that he could not let go of that. And so I think Garrett Bradbury being in this new system, uh, he's going to have an opportunity to do a little bit better. Um, he's going to have to pass block a lot better. Um, they might get lucky, make a trade, draft a guard that's usable. But they also have some veteran guards they bought in. So this could be a, a different look team uh, where, you know, the Dolphins guy, everybody's saying, oh, he hurt this guy. The Buffalo Bills guy, oh, he hurt this Like, every fan base has something about players that leave that they're just not happy with. Like, the Vikings losing Stephon Diggs. There was, oh, at least we don't have to deal with the drama anymore. So there's always going to be negatives from fans when players leave um, that they can always tie to. Players can go other places, start anew, have a great career. So we just don't really know what that interior line is going to look like. We know the tackles are set. But I think the key for Garrett Bradbury is just going to be do your job. Like, a lot of the stuff the Rams did was quick hitting. I mean, Matthew Stafford did not have to sit back in the pocket forever like he did with the Lions. He had quick, easy reads. It was, here's my guy. Here's where I'm going. If he's not there, here's my second read. I don't think it's over for Garrett Bradbury. I think he can earn his way, and this offense can help him out. It's a really optimistic view. I'm I'm <laughs> down on him. I mean, worst pass-blocking center in the league three years in a row, and they're going to pass more, and that's going to work out? I don't know. I don't know. We'll you see. have a coach we'll that can help right. you identify the, the the rushers. That's the big difference. This coach is going to help them identify the rushers. In the past, it was figured out for yourself. Now you have a coach that's in their ear as well, not just the offensive line coach. The actual quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator and the head coach are all going to be able to say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how you pick up the blitz. Also, Kirk, change the play. You got two guys in the A-gap. Change it. Run a tunnel screen. Run a bubble screen. We're going to see some of that. Yeah, no, we could, and scheme change might be big. I will admit that. Yeah. Um, another Vikings one. Rumor has it the Vikings and Saints could play each other early in the season in London. Are you excited about the London games these days, or are you bored by the whole thing? I, I mean, there's a thing. I get it. I get the whole thought by it. Um, I think for the home team, they're not too happy with it because they lose a, a game that fans would have went to. Um, for New Orleans, you know, if it is New Orleans, instead of the Vikings having to go play in New Orleans and deal with that crowd in that stadium, now they get to play in London. So 
it becomes neutral. It becomes a neutral playing ground, even though you know New Orleans is the home team. It becomes neutral. You got fan, you got thirty one different, thirty two different teams that are going to be represented in those stadiums because fans are just going to see football. It's a little bit different internationally than it is here. You're going to have Raiders jerseys. You're going to have Rams jerseys at that game. You're going to have Lions, Bears, Packers. You, it's going to be scarves. It's going to be everything. Like it's going to. It's going to be a fun atmosphere, but there's not going to be – they're going to cheer loudly for both sides. Um, it's It becomes – so I'm not – I'm bored with it because I just think it's gimmicky. I get it. It's money. It's trying to be, make the game more international like basketball. Uh, I think that's every league's idea. Even baseball wants to, you know, make sure they continue to keep it international. Um, but but I but I am kind of like, uh, I get it. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be – I'm on the schedule release show for the NFL – um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll get the Viking schedule early. So I'll kind of have an idea of who they play, where they play, when they play beforehand. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. You know, the Vikings and saints have had so many electric atmospheres over the years that I think it's a bummer for them to lose out on one of those home atmospheres. You know, I remember the, obviously the last two playoff games, one in new Orleans and the Minneapolis miracle here, incredible. Yeah. But they've had some really good primetime regular season games, too. And I know that, True. you know, it's, it's Drew Brees is not there anymore. Sean Payton's not there anymore. Uh, Mike Zimmer's not there anymore. Stephon Diggs isn't here anymore. Like, all of the key figures in that rivalry are pretty much gone, so it's kind of a new rivalry. But mm -hmm. it, it does sadden me to see that game go to London where most people don't really have a loyalty. It's more just general football fans trying to learn the game. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's what you lose. You lose. I mean, it's not, this is not a Jaguars, um, you know, Raiders game. This is like a pretty big rivalry <laughs> game that I think would probably be on Sunday night football. The Jaguars Raiders though. I mean, you got Trevor Lawrence and Derek Carr. Like that's what <laughs> they were trying to get. Like you got two teams who knew that urban Meyer would be the lap bandit. Like everybody thought that was going to be the way to go. They were going to be the new Ohio state of the NFL. Um, hey, Nick Saban tried to get in the NFL with the Dolphins. Didn't work for him. Didn't work for Urban Meyer either. So, hey, just learn from your mistakes and move on. I will say this, though. Uh, after you just named all that, Sean Payton gone, all these people gone, I, I feel like that's an easy, not say easy, but I think it's an easy win for the Vikings, especially if it's in London. I, I just think it fits. And there's more international. I feel like there's more international Vikings fans for some reason than there is Saints fans. I think you're right about that. I don't know why that is, but the Vikings seem to have that international uh, flavor to them or presence. Um, I've been scouring Twitter, trying to find interesting quotes from Quasi Adolfo Mensa. He just gave his pre-draft press conference this morning. What was I thinking? Trying to find interesting quotes from a GM on draft week. He's talking about they might trade up, they might trade down, they might amass picks, they might not amass picks. He's basically hedging all of his bets. He's clearly learned well from his predecessor, Rick Spielman, who never said anything at these press conferences. Um, so I guess, I don't know what my question for you exactly is, but do you think Quasi Adolfo Mensa is going to, I'll ask you this, is he more likely to pile picks to trade up or is he more likely to trade back throughout the draft? So this is where I sit with this. So Quasi Adolfo Mensa, he wears the baseball cap. Love it. Love the swag. Uh, love the laid backness of his persona. Um, love the Ivy League kind of like I got this. Uh, never looks like he's nervous or sweating. Um, like Ryan Poles, when Ryan Poles went to the podium, it was questionable. Some of the things he said, he couldn't even read the car correctly. Everybody's like, oh, he's so nervous. 
Kwesi was like a cucumber. He was he was like the other side of the pillow. Dude was cool. He got up there, told a story about his parents, told everybody, you know, he cried a little bit, had everybody else crying. Movie-esque ending to the Kwesi Adolfo story, if this was Hollywood. You know, getting to the podium, making everybody cry, going out drafting. He's going to draft probably the best corner in the NFL. Uh, Ten years from now, we'll look back and be like, I remember when, um, you know, like, like Kevin Costner drafting T'Challa, you know, who knew he drafted black? The dude drafted Black Panther. Like, you can't tell me the Black Panther is not the best player in the NFL for that movie. Like, you drafted the Black Panther. Like, that dude can take hits and keep moving. He can run faster than anybody, tackle everybody. Like, he drafted the Black Panther. So, that's where I think Quasi is. Like, Quasi is sitting back. He's not going to. And this is the thing. It's not that he didn't give people bulletin board material. He's just doing what every GM does. You don't ever show your hand. If I'm playing poker, I got the hat down low. I got the hoodie kind of up maybe a little bit. I got sunglasses on. I'm not giving you any reads. I'll never forget playing poker in Detroit in a tournament. Old dude have been messing with me all night. About five hours into it. Got back, ended up at the same table again. Broke him. Took like five grand from him. Why? Because he just did, he couldn't read me. He just assumed I was out here just, because earlier I had made a stupid bet on like a 2-4 offsuit, just trying to see if I could hit something on the river, on the uh, on the flop. And uh, he he just, you know, oh, he's this kid doesn't know what he's doing. Took his money. Uh, other people had my back. So that's what I think Quasi is. He's not going to give you guys anything. Like early on, yeah, I gave you some Rick Spielman type vibes. I gave you some Rick Spielman type feels. I'm setting y'all up for the draft because you have no idea what I'm about to do. But I got this Ace King suited. And I'm about to let it go as soon as you tell me what you're doing before I tell you what I'm doing. And I think that's where Quasey stands. Yeah, he's playing things so close to the vest. I wouldn't be surprised if there's one huge move coming on Thursday. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, bonus question. We're running out of time. I want your best 30 seconds on the Taylor Jenkins comments about the officials in the Wolves-Grizzlies series. He called them inconsistent, arrogant, and embarrassing he got fined fifteen thousand dollars your thoughts on taylor jenkins calling out the refs uh one out of three is not bad inconsistent yeah arrogant no embarrassing nah you're just mad you lost if you won because it's been the other way around where the timberwolves people have said that that's not a foul that's not this are you look at cats files in that one game yeah three or four of them may have been cats but two of them were phantom calls so it's gone both ways chris finch kept his mouth shut taylor jenkins Hey, you guys suck. Well, let's see if it pays off for him. I said it earlier in the show. I think he did it for a reason. Just like baseball managers do the same thing. When they get thrown out of a game, they're doing it to get their players going. They're also doing it to put the umps on notice. I know what you're doing. And so that's what Taylor Jenkins is doing. He's putting the referees on notice. He's also trying to get it out of his players and say, hey, it's us against the world. I saw Tom Brady's man in the arena last night. I watched it. And he said the season uh, with the Falcons was a F-E-A type of season. That's F them all. That was dope. That's where I think Chris or Taylor Jenkins is trying to get these Grizzlies to feel like this is an FEE league, FEA uh, series. You know, it's us against them. F them all. He's trying to get these guys riled up. And I think that's where he's going with it. He's trying to put his Tom Brady on his team and say, hey, it's us against the world. These refs aren't going to help us out. They love the Timberwolves. So it's just us. So, no, I, I, I think. That's he does does what a coach thinks he's doing that moment to get his players ready to play in game five at home because it's a must win. They lose tonight. They probably lose in Minnesota and it's Wolves in six. Like I said, 
from the beginning. So hopefully I can put my crown on and say I called it Wolves and Six. Well, that'll do it for the Ron Johnson Show. I'm your host, Ron Johnson. That's Sam Ekstrom. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to the Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast Network on YouTube. Search the Ron Johnson Show. Tons of clips, tons of stuff. We had a great show today with Ben Johnson. We also talked a ton about what the Timberwolves are going to do to win tonight. And also, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Have a great day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.